Welcome to Tech Junior. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us on Tech Junior. Uh, today we have a really awesome guest. We've got Vincent Tang joining us. Uh, Vincent has made a big splash in the Orlando developer scene recently. Uh, just got his uh, first job as a junior developer. So he's come on to share his experience and all of his tips and tricks for the job hunt. So in this episode, you're going to learn about how to hack LinkedIn and Indeed.com to best represent yourself and get your stuff out there. And also the importance of networking and kind of like being active in the community and how helpful that can be for getting a job. And as always, if you like the show, please jump on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and like and subscribe. And please leave us a review. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Warwick. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. I have with me Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie, full stack JavaScript and design. And then we have a special guest with us. We have uh, Vincent Tang. If you can introduce yourself, Vincent. Hey, my name is Vincent. I just recently got a new job at a really awesome company. Full stack awesome. developer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys said it too, so I have to say it as well. Yeah, so we have uh, Vincent on the show because Vincent is a Orlando developer who just went through the job search process, um, applied to a bunch of companies, did a bunch of interviews, and I think came out the other side with a good job. So today I just want to talk about like what the job search process was like for him and um, what kind of interview questions he got, how many places he applied to, and all of those strategies that went into that job search. So um, I guess starting off, um, how long were you job hunting for? I started around February when it was mostly just like a casual job search when I, that was mostly a casual job search, just testing out the, the market and seeing what things worked out there and what things in it. And I was still updating my portfolio at the time. So it wasn't like a hard switch at that point in time. Um, but I really started applying like actively around, around May. And then I got hired in May as well. Okay. So it sounds like it took a couple months of just kind of working on stuff and casually shooting out an application here or there. And mm -hmm. then when you really got down to it, um, maybe it took about a month to, to actually get hired when you're going uh, full steam ahead. Pretty much. Okay, cool. Um, so what, what uh, is your background like and what kind of experience do you have? Do you have like a computer science degree or can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I graduated from the University of Florida with my material science degree in at at, uh, at University of Florida, right? And that was in 2013. After that, um, I actually went and worked in the restaurant industry, where I actually designed and architected a lot of restaurants in town. Um, one of the projects I had to do at work is actually um, build out an e-commerce site for our shop. So I built that out over the last year. And before that, I also wrote a lot of scripts and plugins for myself to help out on my everyday kind of life applications, things like note-taking apps, um, things for backing up databases at work, and also for my own life. And that's how I got into programming in general. Okay, so you, you didn't do any programming at UF? Uh, I took a Fortran class, and I wrote some Fortran, spaghetti code. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah. I wrote go-to line statements everywhere. That's that's my exposure to programming, at least back then. I've done some game modding before that, 
um, a really long time back and just over the years. But in terms of like actual programming experience and things like going to an actual class to learn the foundations of computer science or going through a boot camp, I haven't really had anything like that. Okay, so you'd kind of consider yourself a self-taught learner then? For the most part, yeah. Awesome. Uh, what what did you focus on? It sounds like web technologies. Yeah, I focus purely on web technologies just because that's that's like the bread and butter in the industry. If you look at all the different startups or all the different enterprises out in the market, everybody needs to have a web app of some sort before they'll have like a mobile app or before they'll have a desktop app. At least that's for most scenarios. Um, and that's kind of why I push forward in terms of learning pure front-end development starting off and then some back-end later on. Okay, cool. So you kind of focused on, um, I guess, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript at first and then moved into back-end technologies from there? Yeah, yeah. So I started I started first in CSS, actually. Um, I use this note-taking app every day and the the front end interface was kind of really ugly to me and I'm using it like day in and day out. So the first thing I did to learn CSS is actually write my own CSS theme for that app. And I use it every day. So it's kind of like a reminder to myself, oh, this is actually stuff I actually use every day. Right? <laughs> and it actually benefits me. And then after that, I started learning JavaScript because I wanted to make a injection onto that same Node app so that I can have like an image slider so I can resize images on the fly as I'm taking notes. Um, that was kind of like my first start in programming, at least on the front end side, is just building scripts and plugins. Okay, awesome. So when you decided to you know go out there and get a programming job, um, what kind of pushed you, I guess, in the first place to even look at programming? Um, it sounds like you have some, you said restaurant industry experience, and obviously you have a material science degree. So you were doing something sounded like pretty different from programming at first. What drove you towards uh, the tech industry? So what drove me into the tech industry, it's, it's a few different things. One, um, the skills that you build in programming are applicable to anything else you do in life. Number two, um, once you build up that skill set in programming, you can easily find jobs in any different city. You can work remotely. You can have just any type of lifestyle that you want, which is very convenient. Um, three, it's, it's, I really like building things of any sort, shape, yeah, way or form. And it doesn't have to be just in programming. It could also be things in hardware. I also, I also have a hobby in welding as well. I have like 200 plus hours into that. I do some woodwork do some couple other things like go to make affairs all the time. Um, so just that whole aspect and avenue of programming is just one aspect that I, that I do, but it's probably the easiest way to get your foot in the door in terms of building something every day that you can actually make a living off of. And so that's why I chose programming. Okay. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of career changers out there that are kind of starting to look at the tech industry as um, maybe a, a way to improve their salary or maybe do something that's more fulfilling or, you know, more interesting to them. Um, mm -hmm. I'm certainly one of those people. I uh, started out as a, a nurse or a fireman and um, just wanted to do something creative mm -hmm. um, as opposed to kind of being a public servant. And um, I, I really like it so far. So I think a lot of our listeners probably are also way into programming, I would hope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, as a self-learner, as a web, you know, person, what kind of jobs were you looking at? Like what, um, 
what kind of listings made you shoot your resume off? Like, did you find junior jobs or did you apply to mid-level or what was the strategy? I applied to everything. Actually, I applied to everything just to see what would happen out of curiosity. And I kind of stayed away from senior positions just because I didn't feel like I would fit that senior mold. Um, so I'm kind of like in this weird position where I don't necessarily consider myself a junior, don't necessarily consider myself an intermediate developer. I kind of consider myself like at a halfway point. Um, so I just applied to anything that just said either junior or none of them. If it just said like front end developer, or if it said like react developer, view developer, front end engineer, front end developer, or back end developer, I just applied to all those. Um, whatever kind of like matched my current skill set which for the most part was just front-end development. Um, that's why I applied to, and also full stack too. So what would you consider your uh, skills? Are you like um, a React developer or a Vue developer, Angular, um, jQuery? You know, <laughs> what, uh, what technologies would you consider as like that core skill set? Um, so I spent the last year focusing primarily on React development. So what I applied to mostly was React development and also front-end. So were you scared to apply to like a Vue job or an Angular job? Um, no, for Vue, it's not nearly as big of a deal just because the, the learning curve for Vue is much less than React. And a lot of the things that you learn in React actually transition to Vue as well because it takes patterns from both React and Angular. But I did avoid applying to Angular jobs, or I applied to a few Angular jobs, but um, it's kind of like a different mindset in Angular because it's been out for much for a much longer time frame. And because of that, there's more candidates out there that are competing for the same role. So while I did apply for it, I kind of focused on mostly React. Okay. Um, so how how wide of a net did you cast? Uh, we're in Orlando, which is kind of centrally located in Florida. Um, did you apply out of state? Did you keep it in Orlando? Um, where I, were you applying? I applied to a few places out of state just to see what would happen. And I did get reply backs, but I kind of ignored them because... They wanted me to take all sorts of crazy tests. So I'm just like, okay, I think I'll pass on that. For for applying in the area, I did apply to companies within Florida, um, both to Jacksonville, Orlando, Tallahassee, Tampa, and some of Miami. Um, that was, to the most part, the extent of how far my, my, my net went because I didn't want to go too far out of my local area. And I did apply to, I did apply to a lot of companies in Orlando as well. Okay. Um, so going along with that, what, uh, what kind of materials did you, you know, prepare beforehand? Did you work on your LinkedIn? Did you work on your resume, uh, get a portfolio site up? Like what, what kind of preparation did you feel was necessary before applying? A few things, um, the portfolio website. So I just, I had a WordPress site already up and running. So I just had to update to the latest projects that I built out. Um, so I did that. That's definitely a requirement for any front end position. People expect you to have a portfolio site up to look at. And I mostly put videos on there just because sometimes those projects get, um, like sometimes your, your hosting provider, like Heroku or whatever hosting provider you use might have some downtime. And if the person that's going to that site looks at it and they see it doesn't work, it kind of looks poorly on your part. So I just uploaded all those video, all those. I actually did demonstrations of all the things I built inside of uh, YouTube. Um, okay. That's so that's cool. one, that's one avenue. So portfolio, the second thing, updating LinkedIn. Um, I started off with pretty much no connections on LinkedIn and I've been sort of just like 
testing out the waters in terms of how LinkedIn marketing works. Everything from, you know, occasionally putting things out on your on your posting feed, um, connecting to people within the local area and also people that I've met at conventions. Um, so and also when I did my first technical talk as well in Orlando um, with Orlando JS, um, I've, I've been experimenting with different things there too. So, so it sounds like you're doing a lot of work, or we're doing a lot of work to build up your own personal brand, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, giving talks, doing a lot of networking, going out to meetups, um, posting on LinkedIn, um, and and I think that all that stuff is really great and a good strategy because you know at the end of the day what you're doing is raising your your visibility right to employers Mm -hmm. so you know a lot of uh, people in the industry are going around to these types of events they're on linkedin obviously um or on twitter is another good one and when you're out there posting like hey i'm building x y or z or i built this today or gave a talk on javascript or whatever they look at that and they say like wow this guy's like pretty passionate about you know Uh, front-end web or or technology and he's doing it in his own time and i think that that's really attractive to employers Uh, would you agree with that i definitely agree with that awesome um so with your portfolio site and your projects and stuff did that generate any leads or did you get asked about that stuff when you actually were in the interviews or anything i actually did not get asked about my portfolio at all (laughs) 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 Yeah, me neither. Whenever I was applying, I had a couple in-person interviews, and no one asked me anything about it. It's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Even on my LinkedIn as well, no one asked me anything about it. <laughs> so, what about uh, your personal projects? Well, I think they did ask. They did ask a few questions related to the things I built. Um, but what I did when it came to in-person interviews is I actually brought my laptop and just put that my laptop and just showed them things I built. Okay. okay. That's probably why they didn't ask anything because I just had it in front of me when I was at the interview. How many um, applications do you think that you shot out between, I guess, February and May? Um, it's kind of hard to say just because between February to April, I've been just sticking purely on LinkedIn messaging. Like recruiters will reach out to you and say, hey, apply to this awesome job that we have over in Texas or in Florida. And we have an immediate job opening here, here, and here. I... I started doing that, and I guess that would qualify as applying to jobs, which is not traditionally the way you think of it. Um, and I probably applied to like thirty jobs there. Wow! At least the ones that matched like my skill set. If it was like really far out of reach in terms of like, oh, you want eight years of experience in Java? I'm just like, okay, no thanks. <laughs> so, were you applying strictly through LinkedIn? No, I didn't apply at all at LinkedIn. Um, I just responded to messages from recruiters on LinkedIn. What do you think, uh, because I know whenever I got out of like the coding bootcamp, for instance, I didn't hear anything from recruiters. Like they didn't message me, they didn't talk to me, nothing. Um, but then once I had maybe six months of experience at my first job, uh, LinkedIn just started blowing up for me. And like every other day I would get a message from a recruiter that's like, hey, Lee, we have an interesting opportunity, blah, blah, blah. So um, with somebody that didn't have experience or is a junior developer just starting out, like what do you think the secret was to putting stuff on your LinkedIn to get people to actually message you. It's not really putting your stuff on LinkedIn per se. That really gets people to look at you. It's actually getting people with your exact skill set in your field and your local area to look up your profile because the way LinkedIn marketing works is you have a 
I, I don't know if this is entirely correct, but I, I've been experimenting with a lot of numbers lately to see what actually works and what doesn't. Um, your 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 LinkedIn profile in terms of how recruiters reach out to you is kind of the same way SEO works, search engine optimization. So you don't you know, like a higher your search engine optimization rating, the more people will find you, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So LinkedIn is the same way. It's it's your own website in a sense, except it's LinkedIn profile. And if you have people that are senior devs at like say Fat Merchant or other big companies in town look you up periodically, like like, oh, I'm curious who Vincent is, and they look up and they look up your profile and spend like a few seconds on there. I don't know how LinkedIn like LinkedIn algorithm works. Um your your social score will go up. And then recruiters have like a bar threshold where they say, hey, if this person reaches this number, automatically message them for a job posting. Um, That's one way it works on that end, because the reason I know this is because I went on Odev's and I posted a React.js question on there. And then I had 10 recruiters message me all within the span of five seconds. (laughs) Holy smokes. Wow. So you posted this (laughs) on the what Odev's? Odev's React.js. <laughs> what for on LinkedIn or no on on the Odev's Orlando Dev Slack channel because oh, people okay. were curious who I was and they all looked up they all looked at my profile at the same time and that jumped up the the hidden LinkedIn score really high up and then because it went past that threshold the recruiter sets like an automatic score threshold where they say hey if this person reaches past that score limit automatically message them about the job posting that they have that is bananas yeah i I had no idea that linkedin worked that way Um, yeah and also when i did my first talk to i had like a ton of messages coming in from there too wow Wow. um that that is amazing so basically it sounds like um the more people that are clicking on your profile like the higher you score on like linkedin's magical indexing thing and then on the other side of it when recruiters are searching for candidates um, if you're getting a lot of traffic on your profile, like you're going to show up to them. Is yeah, that... I had actually, that's, that's actually right. I actually had um, Google and Amazon both reach out to me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's actually, Amazon reached out to me three times about three different things I didn't qualify for. <laughs> and then wow. Google reached out. Well, actually, I went to a Google conference in town and at, at Disney. And um, yeah, they, they reached out to me about um, applying to, to their to their company as well. Did you apply? I did. They were supposed to. They're so with the Google interview process. The first call is like an HR call, and then you have like the technical call afterward, which is going to happen like four to five months later. And it's supposed to be around this time, actually. But I didn't end up getting the response back. I think the person probably forgot. But um, if I do want to apply to Google today, I can just link message that person on LinkedIn, and then she'll set me up with like an actual technical phone interview where they'll ask me like all sorts of different algorithm and data structure questions. And if I pass that, I can actually do an onsite. Wow. So would you say that like the content on LinkedIn is maybe not that important? I mean, it's definitely important in the sense that you want people to stay on your profile long enough to be interested in it and also to click on different links. I think that's how it works. This is just hypothesis. Um, I mean, okay. if someone just spends like two seconds on it and then just leaves right away, it doesn't look nearly as good for, for the LinkedIn algorithm. At least that's what I think. 
I could be wrong, but it definitely is impacted by the type of people looking at your profile. Like if you have like a hundred boot campers looking at your profile, it's weighted less in my opinion than someone who has like six years of React experience looking at your profile. That's just how I see it. I don't know. I don't know if enough numbers to prove that, but that's just at least my best guess on it. That's really interesting. So were you actively trying to drive traffic to LinkedIn kind of by doing a lot of talks and stuff? Um, I actually, I didn't post anything on LinkedIn besides me attending hackathons and pictures of me that look good. <laughs> and, <then those hackathons. laughs> and I only posted on LinkedIn like, like at most once a month or once every two months. And then okay. one of the recruiters at one of the big companies in town, like, like when I was going through the application process, I'm like, Hey, my name is Vincent, blah, blah. I, we messaged on, on email and she's like, Oh yeah, you're all over social media. I'm like, I don't, I don't post much on social media. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you're all over my social, all over my LinkedIn post feeds. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Like I haven't posted that much. <laughs> so, um, for anybody that's unfamiliar, um, in Orlando, we have a awesome developer community. And uh, we've got a nonprofit um, Orlando developers group that uh, has a Slack channel and pretty much, you know, most of the developers in Orlando that are kind of passionate about community and passionate about helping people are on that channel. So uh, Vincent posted on the React channel a, you know, some kind of React question and that made people on the channel that are, you know, developers start, oh, well, who's this Vincent guy? And then they jump on LinkedIn and looked him up. So um Vincent, was was there any active strategies to kind of raise that awareness that you were using? I know that you've been on like a couple podcasts and uh, done like a talk or two. I think I think the two best things, in my opinion, that would make you stand out at least on the LinkedIn profile like algorithm is actually talking to people on Orlando Devs Slack and whatever different channels that you want to. The more you participate, actually, the more people will look you up. Um, and then the second thing is doing a technical talk for one of the meetups, because that's another way all the devs will actually look you up as well. <laughs> so <laughs> between those two, there, I did one for Orlando JS where I talked about, mm-hmm. um, kind of like an overview of how SVG can HTML canvas and WebGL works. And okay. that was over in January at, yeah, at the Orlando JS meetup. Um, and I did that. And between the time that I told the, organizer of Leno JS, which was Carlos, that I was going to do it, which was the month previously. Um, I had like 20 recruiters message me between that time where I said I'd do it and the time that the actual talk happened. And before that, I had like zero people reaching out to me. <laughs> so yeah, cool. that definitely helps out. So um, kind of getting away from LinkedIn a little bit, uh, did you use um, maybe like Indeed.com and fire off resumes or did you use like Monster, one of those big aggregate sites? So I actually have done recruiting for probably three years from the HR side because I've had to hire warehouse employees at my previous job. Um, and pretty much every, every like there's Indeed, there's there's Monster, there's ZipRecruiter, there's Snagajob, there's Craigslist. They all pretty much suck except Indeed. <laughs> so I can definitely tell you Indeed has probably of all those different sites, I'd probably guess it's probably 80% market share. Wow. 80, 80 to 90%, I would say. Oh, actually, there's Glassdoor as well, um, wow. if you want to consider them. They're, they constitute a good majority as well. But in terms of the big ones that you think of for, for just any type of job, Indeed is way far ahead of everyone else. 
So did you use Indeed as a tool whenever you were applying? Yeah, I use Indeed for applying to jobs like to, to, to jobs that I wouldn't traditionally get from recruiters. So would you say that, um, I guess, talking to recruiters was your main source of leads or searching jobs on Indeed? Um, so actually the recruiters on Indeed were, or sorry, the, the recruiters on LinkedIn for the most part weren't really that helpful. <laughs> really? Which is what I found out after experimenting well. for, for two to three months. A lot of those jobs are, a lot of those companies are looking for senior devs, right? And they want you to have like six plus years of experience, which I didn't have. I actually, I downloaded my LinkedIn profile because I worked at the same company for six years. And actually said that I was considered a senior, which I'm, which I'm not. <laughs> That's probably why they're reaching out to me. You can actually see your hidden metadata when you download your LinkedIn profile. So um, how do you how do you do that? There's a setting under profiles, and then you export your your entire data, your entire data set from LinkedIn, and then it'll give you a spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet will tell you all the metadata associated with yourself, wow, based on how LinkedIn profiles you. Really interesting. Yeah, this yeah. Is turned into a real. LinkedIn <laughs> episode. I've worked in HR both ends, and I oh, this kinda, is all I, like I, super helpful information. Yeah, yeah. This I think this is really beneficial because um, I think the traditional strategy that a lot of people use is they just pretty much they throw together a resume. They probably don't have a portfolio website, and they just jump on Indeed.com and they just start sending that resume to as many people as they can, and they they don't really do anything outside of that. Um, it's actually very it works really well you you said that strategy works really well yeah so i uh, i would challenge that because if you don't have any experience you know you don't have um a lot of visibility in the community you don't do any networking at all and all you're doing is firing off resumes to you know the indeed black hole um i know personally i didn't get anywhere with that like i had no leads generated I just felt like my resume was, you know, sent off into the void, and I never heard anything. Um, so, I've I've actually been on the, I've been on the other end where I've had to hire warehouse employees, and whenever we create a job posting, we'd probably get around a thousand to a thousand five hundred applicants, right? And for the most part, these applicants are just clicking, oh, check mark, apply, and that's it. That's how they apply to one company, and they can apply to like a hundred companies within five minutes, right? So yeah. to set yourself apart, what you have to do is it's it's two things um creating your own personal pdf resume would make you stand out way more than any other other candidates that that apply within the same site because your resume will look different than the other applicants you're talking so, about through indeed.com like uploading yeah, yeah. Your own so PDF in, indeed y- indeed you can set up um you can apply either through a pdf or through the metadata that you add onto indeed and i would recommend adding your own custom PDF. And if you know how to use Adobe InDesign or you know how to download a template that you can actually create that custom PDF, it would make you stand out more. Yeah, you can save a PDF through Word as well. Yeah, you can save it through Word as well. Yeah, um, my um my personal process was to go on something like zeti.com, Z-E-T-Y, and uh, look at their templates. And then I kind of, they'll let you fill out, it's a paid service, but they'll let you fill out the resume and kind of get a preview of it. Mm-hmm. And then I took that that layout and that design and and recreated it in uh, Google Docs using just like a basic table, and um, was able to create like a pretty decent looking resume, and uh, 
you know, obviously from Google Docs, you can export that as a PDF. So, so, so I actually created my own resume in Adobe InDesign because I've been using it for three years. Um, it's it's kind of like Adobe Photoshop slash Illustrator combined for specifically page layouts. I did that, and I actually had a professional resume writer go through like all the content on my resume, and we had to delete a lot of stuff from it. And and I also had another designer that I hired out as well to help me design my resume, even though I knew how to design it myself. Did you so, uh, did you pay so both I, of those people to work on your resume? Yep, that yep. was between the that was that 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 whole process took a whole month actually. Wow. Um, from February, the start of February to the end of February. Um, and I mean, despite the fact that I spent so much money, I, I spent a good, a good chunk of money. I don't want to admit how much, but <laughs> I had, I definitely had like the best designer possible in that category and also the best resume writer in that category as well. Like the ones that engineers hire that actually can read through technical documents that actually can understand like what you're actually talking about as opposed to just like a generic HR person who doesn't know what web development is. I actually hired someone with experience in that engineering mindset and also hired a designer that specifically specialized in resumes. So um, would you recommend that people do that or were there some like basic tips that you could pass along that those designers actually like some methods or something that they did to transform your resume. Um, there's a really good site if you want to look up cool portfolio resumes and uh, resumes in that PDF format. It's called Best Folios, so b e s t f o l i o dot com slash resume. That's probably the a lot of those resumes created on that site are actually from designers that work at Google or Amazon, or any of the other fan companies, um, and, and a lot of students as well through universities. So if you want to see the coolest resume templates that actually work on the web, that's probably the best site. That's cool. I'd like to just throw out there, there's a theme for us. They have a graphic section, and they have a lot of like pre-built resumes. Um, just something to look at to get ideas, or you can actually buy them. They're, and they're not very expensive, like five, six bucks. Okay. That's pretty cool. Um, so wow, it sounds like uh, you put a lot of a lot of weight into the resume and a lot of effort into kind of refining that. Um, and you said that that was because you know when you're applying through Indeed, having that that nice PDF resume really sets you apart. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would say I probably got out of every place I applied, I probably got fifty percent callbacks. And wow. that's pretty um, hard. I only applied to like 20 or 30 companies, though. I applied specifically to companies that met my job description or job criteria. I didn't just apply randomly to things I didn't really, really qualify for, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Was that 20 to 30 applications, I guess, over the course of February through May? No, that was actually from end of April to end of May. So when you got, I guess, serious about it? wait what was it so when you when you really decided to buckle down and and start applying really heavily um, pretty much you shot out maybe 20 or 30 um from april to may yeah well before that on on linkedin i set myself to casually applying and then at the end of april i I set myself to actively applying and then i got a huge 
like a lot more people rec- messaging me through LinkedIn recruiting. Okay, awesome. Um, so out of that, um, did you get a lot of phone screenings or like, do they invite you to an on-site interview or how did that process usually go? It kind of varied between each company. Um, so the place I got hired at, which is in downtown Orlando, I actually reached out to them through ODEVs, Orlando Devs job post job listings on the Slack channel. Okay. And that's how I got hired through there. Actually, I got hired, like I did the interview, then I got hired the same day. Um, so <laughs> that, that person, like, like at least that company moved very quickly, right? But right. other companies tend to move much slower in terms of like the hiring process. So I had to, I had, I had, uh, I had two, uh, sorry, I had two person, two in-person interviews and then I had like five or six phone screen interviews or probably like 10, 10 phone screen interviews. And I had probably three or four, um, like take home projects that I had to do. Right. But I only did like one or two of them. Okay. Um, so out of the phone screen, uh, or the phone interviews, what kind of questions were you asked? Um, for the most part, the the first phone screen is more of an HR phone call where they kind of like ask you more about who you are, what's your background, where you're looking to move, you know, a couple years from now. And they'll ask you also about salary requirements. And okay. this is when you say you're flexible. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> that That you're willing to take whatever the market kind of averages out to, right? <laughs> Okay. Because because they don't make the decision at this point in time in terms of how much you're willing to be offered, right? That's only after they decide to hire you. Right. Um so I never gave them a number. Um Yeah, and... we talked to a, a career coach um on a previous episode and um Chad Bostick and he, and we kind of pitched him that question of salary negotiations and and what do you do, what do you say? Because usually you get asked like Hey, what are you looking to make? Just so they can kind of like set you up for or set their own expectations, I guess, of whether or not to move forward. And um, I did the same thing. I, I said I'm not comfortable giving a number until I actually got in and did some interviewing and did like a technical challenge. And then finally, when I got to a point in the process, they were like, "You have to give us a number." Then <laughs> I finally like threw something out there. Well, another question you can ask is: um, most of the recruiters have a budget that they that they're given in terms of how much they can offer this person that role so you can just straight up ask them hey what's your budget for this role between what range and what range and they'll usually sometimes tell you oh it's between you know this amount and this amount or it might be like oh it's it's this number plus minus right they can usually give out that number to you ahead of time and you can also look up the that that salary range on Glassdoor and also through Indeed. Yeah, I've definitely done the same thing. Uh, that's a great point. I usually ask um, whenever I'm applying to, to a position, I finally get on the phone with somebody. Hey, what's the pay band for this? Like, what what do you typically pay somebody in this position? And they'll throw out a range typically, and that kind of gives um, you a good ballpark of, you know, maybe where you can expect them to offer you uh, a salary or maybe like what you can shoot for and negotiate for. Um, did you find yourself, uh, negotiating like outside of that range or or shooting for more than that? Or how how did that part go? You definitely don't. I mean, since I'm more or less a junior to mid-level developer, you definitely don't want to shoot outside that range. Uh, junior developers in Orlando from 
what I've talked to within like actual people getting hired within the area, they're making anywhere from 40 to 65, if I'm mistaken. That's, mm-hmm. that's just what I've seen. And I went to the Orlando dev salary survey as well. The tech meetup that we had at the new esports complex. Oh, okay. The, the numbers were much different over there. That's because there's a lot of senior devs as well within that same like survey pool. But, um, that's just what I've seen in the market personally. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree that, you know, you're probably looking at somewhere in there as somebody with zero experience. Um, and, and that's, a, to be honest, a huge pay range, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I could definitely see, like, don't expect to sit down if they throw you a number like 45 to 55, and then you go, well, I'm looking for 70, like <laughs> probably pricing yourself out of a job. But uh, I mean, you're, I think if you're in that range, like you're probably, probably safe to negotiate. Um, yeah, yeah. Depending if you're in that on, range, you're safe to negotiate. Depending on how you do in the interviews, right? Like if you are a rock star developer, quote unquote, and you just like totally decimate their tests and do really, really good in the interview, they're going to want to hire you and they're going to want to negotiate. But if you just kind of like don't feel like you did that great or um, maybe you uh, didn't do so hot um, on their technical challenge or something like that, maybe you have less negotiating power. Would you, would you say that that's the case? Yeah, definitely. Um, but if they extend an offer to you, Right, and they say, "Okay, we're 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 willing to offer you, or offer you a position," and then they get into the salary requirements. At that point in time, you're already the first pick, right? So you have you have the power at this point to negotiate. Before that process, you don't want to negotiate because you're not in the position of power, right? Yeah, that because makes there's a sense. lot of other candidates applying to that same job. But when you're the one that's when you're the person that they want to hire, that's when you can actually negotiate. And that's what I did actually. So my boss uh, gave me an offer, right? And it was between like X, X range and Y range. And I thought the number was like on the lower end of the scale. So after he sent me the offer on paper, right? I just messaged him back and said, hey, you know, can we run up to this even number? And it's also a lucky number in my culture as well. <laughs> do you think we can do that? Because <laughs> I'm Chinese, and there are certain lucky numbers that, you, that there there are certain numbers in Chinese culture that are considered lucky, right? And, and this this is only a leveraging point if you're Chinese, right? It doesn't work if you're <laughs> other if you're if you're if you're other different types of cultures. Hey, but for anybody so, listening, my lucky number uh, there's six of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I said this is my lucky number, um, and also. Working with even whole numbers is just easier to look at. It's easier to, to calculate offhand. It, it's, it's a mathematically cooler number to look at, right? So I didn't give this whole excuse saying like, hey, this is my experience. Here's my background. They've already made that decision at that point that they want to hire you. So I just kind of made a joke about it. <laughs> then he bumped it up. Oh, yeah, cool. I, think, um, I think a lot of people expect you to negotiate a little bit. So they, they leave themselves a little bit of room to go up or down a little bit on um on the the end salary offer um so you can i would i mean i'm not an expert but i would throw out that you're probably likely to get a small bump if you ask for it yeah definitely so just don't go just to go too far if you, if you guys yeah, don't price yourself out of the job but <laughs> um so kind of moving uh away from that a little bit because you know a lot of people want to get to that point um talking about actual interviews mm-hmm. uh what 
what kind of questions were you asked like as far as behavioral stuff and as far as technical questions? So for things related to React, I was asked about the React lifecycle. I was asked about hooks. I was asked about how Redux works in the background. I was asked a lot of um, JavaScript questions as well related to ES6 versus ES5 and kind of like um, different things related to the actual inherent JavaScript things. So, so closures as well. I was also asked about some data structures and algorithms. Just a little bit of everything across the board. It really depends on which company was interviewing me. So when I did my first whiteboarding challenge, well, actually, the whiteboarding challenge that I got hired at, um, they only asked me one question, and they said, here is this array. Um, in this array, output every element in that array, but don't use a looping function of any sort. So don't use map, don't use filter, don't use dot reduce don't use any of those and then he asked me how i do it and do you mean like don't use a for loop or don't use for loops either um so the answer was use a recursive function okay. with a conditional statement on the returns the return value that was the only question he asked me that the job that i currently work at um i had another company ask me like the whole whiteboarding casing thing the whole like ritual Right, and this was. Wait, like what a, do you mean? Yeah, what is mean? whiteboard hazing and ritual and and what is all that? You, you you know when you apply to like a really big company, like one one of the one of the more well known companies in say like California or San Francisco, like the big fan companies, they'll have like a set sort of interview process questions where they ask like, "Hey, what's the difference between merge sort and quick sort?" You know, "Hey, I got this um, whiteboarding question right here," and they'll actually write it down for you, and they'll say, "Hey, uh, in this in this statement, there's." there's a closure happening right here, right? And, and and what happens if you change this variable at this location versus this location, what prints out? Like they expect you to know what memory addresses are, object prototypical inheritance, and all this other stuff you don't think about <laughs> when so you're working. This is kind of like the pain point and the big uh, fear of a lot of junior developers and new developers out there applying to jobs. Like they think that they're going to get pulled into a room with a whiteboard, they're going to get asked, like, explain to me or write an example of temporal dead zone in JavaScript or something like completely obscure or obtuse in the language that's just really, really hard or like, okay, I'm going to write out this function. I want you to give me the big O like log not notation of, you know, the efficiency of this function or something crazy. And I want to know um, how much of that stuff did you actually face in the in the job search? It was just one company that really, really pushed hard on that. And that was more for an intermediate dev position, not a junior developer position. So I had to do a hacker rank assessment where I was actually asked about Big O. And I had to know how to do JavaScript regex commands offhand, just looking them up through, through the web. But uh, there was like a lot of like expected knowledge coming in to actually get into that in-person interview. And actually, after that in-person interview, I was asked a ton of like whiteboard whiteboarding questions, and they actually wanted me to write out the whole, the whole code by hand. Was this well. a bigger company or? That was a bigger company. It's it's like thirty minutes away from downtown Orlando, but yeah, it's 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 a bigger company. Everyone that works at that company is an intermediate to senior dev. There's no junior devs at that company. How do you feel like you did on the interview? 
Um, I feel like I, I did really well, but I, I offended them because I said the best devs are in Orlando. <laughs> 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 and they, they might have gotten upset about that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they were supposed to give me another executive interview where I had to actually interview where I would actually get interviewed by the president of the company and that never happened. So I guess, I guess I didn't pass it. <laughs> so um, for the, uh, I guess for the more junior geared or maybe um, lower intermediate jobs that you applied to, how do you feel like the difficulty of the questions was? So, so for the more junior level positions, they wanted to see me do a take on test, which was kind of like the the main technical assessment in terms of how well I can perform at that job. Like that other place was more of an inter- intermediate developer position, so they didn't have they didn't ask me to do a project or take on project. They asked me to do an assessment. Um, did that answer the question? Yeah. So I guess um, if they didn't ask you a bunch of technical questions and then they give you like a take home assessment, what were the take home assessments typically like? Um, so the take-up assessments were typically like this. They had like a GitHub readme file that was publicly available on their organization. And it had like the project, the problem description. It had the things you had to integrate with. And then sometimes they'll even send like a video file and show you what exactly you need to build out. And you're usually given a time span of one week to finish it. And these were what, front-end positions, I guess? These are front-end positions. So were these like build us this app in React or Vue or Angular or something? Well, a lot of them, but some some would tell you to build it specifically in, in Ember JS. Some would say build it in React. Some would say, hey, just build it in whatever you want. That's either React, Vue, or Angular. They just want to see if you have the proficiency to build something out with any any given technology. The jQuery is not allowed. <laughs> 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 yeah, J- jQuery is. Uh definitely not the the hot button topic recently <laughs> um so for the ones that had you do the challenge um did they ask you technical questions or were they just kind of like basic questions or or what they did ask technical questions before the take on tests and it was more like what's the difference between es6 and es5 what what are the pros and cons of using es6 instead of es5 and that that deals with legacy issues they ask things like how does CSS grid work. Um, it's really really basic stuff. It's not like that other company I was talking to you about where they asked me about big O and data structures and algorithms. It's more things you should know as a JavaScript developer, right? Yeah, I definitely feel like um, in my own experience interviewing and being interviewed, uh, it, it kind of seems like a lot of the questions that you get asked are just kind of feeling out um what your breadth of knowledge is in the subject. Mm-hmm. So do you have, like, do you know that there's different versions of JavaScript? Do you know why you would use one or the other? Do you keep up with like the latest and greatest in CSS? Do you know what grid is? Um, do you use Flexbox? Um, what's going on in React recently? Are you interested uh, in learning hooks and, and that sort of thing? And they're just feeling out. It seems like, do you have an interest in programming? Or are you keeping up with it on in your own time? Because, you know, as a developer, especially a front-end developer, you've really got to be on the pulse of the industry and kind of following the latest trends because the technology moves at just a breakneck speed. Would Sounds you say, great. yeah, would you say that that's pretty much what they're trying to get at? 
Yeah, they're trying to feel out your breadth of experience as well as how you can communicate things that you've learned related to those topics and what you do and don't understand. So at a certain point in time, they also want you to say, I don't know. Like, I don't know what how this works or I don't know. I can look it up and tell you later. They want they want to see you say that at a certain point in time in the interview. Yeah, I definitely got asked. Uh, I think I got asked a question about VAR, LET, and CONST. And I was talking about hoisting and stuff with uh, LET, and CONST, and VAR. And I got asked, um, oh, you talked about hoisting. Do you know about temporal dead zone? And I, was, <laughs> I had no idea about that. I don't know what that is either. <laughs> it, it has to do with um, LET, and CONST. It's a thing you'll never use. <laughs> yeah, it's such like a fringe thing. And it was definitely just a, hey, let's stump Lee and see what he says if he <laughs> BSs us or if uh, he actually um, will just say like, yeah, I don't know. So <laughs> um, definitely don't BS uh, an interview. Don't get in there and uh, and tell him some kind of crap you make up on the spot because that's that's <laughs> not going to go over well. That'll right? make you look really bad. It's like yeah. the first red flag. That's like if you get checkmarked on that flag you're not gonna get hired <laughs> yeah. yeah so definitely don't don't do that just be honest um be honest and then if you do move forward in the process um i think it's a good idea to look that up and let them know that you looked it up and what the answer is oh definitely especially after every interview you have to give a follow-up email response thanking them for their time as well yeah that's and also it, a really good idea even if you get rejected as well which kind of sucks because now you're kind of in a bad mood but you still have to send them a nice letter <laughs> you can be passive aggressive about it though if you want to but <laughs> yeah i i probably wouldn't but uh, i can see how you might be steamed a little bit um, cool so uh do you have any other hot tips that you're sitting on because I, I think I'm, I'm pretty much out of interview questions um so definitely i would say participate in the dev slack channel go to tech meetups um because the company that i got hired at they're a small company, but they actually had heard of me before just because I'm pretty vocal in town at, at, at these tech meetups and also in a good way, right? In a good way. Yeah. And I'm also on the channels that they actually read every day in, in Slack. So doing that and being proactive about it really sets you far above the rest of the candidates out there. And because they had heard of me at that point in time before I even applied to the job, they had a favorable impression of me. So that's why they gave me the offer on the same day, because they were confident enough to know that I met every expectation they had set forth, and they felt like no other candidates could meet that bar. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the, I mean, I definitely hear the advice a lot because I'm just out there hunting it down constantly, but uh, you definitely want to do that networking and do the lay the groundwork, I guess, of you know, being visible in the community, meeting people, talking about technology, and just, you know, being interested in it. And, and that's really um, a great way to get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of want to move away from the technical stuff now and, and jump into a segment that we call Nerd Minute. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it always ends up being like Nerd 15 minutes or Nerd 20 minutes, but uh, it's just where we talk about like whatever weird nerdy stuff that we're into. Mm -hmm. So um, wh what are you into lately, Vincent? Uh, I've been into anime. I watch a lot of anime TV shows. Um, like what? Cool. Watch... So, uh, what what are you watching currently? Yeah, what am I watching? I'm watching a couple of things. I'm watching One Punch Man season two. Okay. I'm watching uh, 
Rising of the Shield Hero. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> I'm still I'm still watching One Piece, which is like a a really old anime so made in 2004. <laughs> Eddie, you watch One Piece? Yeah, because I watch it with my daughter. So oh, we're okay. like halfway through the third season now. Dude, One Piece is on like episode 800 or something. Yeah, yeah, it? we got a lot to yeah. do. Yeah. I've actually started rereading the manga. I don't usually read manga, but that's the only one I'll actually like look up. Um, okay. And I've been um, playing I've been playing some video games lately. Apex what you, Legends. What are you playing? Apex Legends. I've been playing Mordhau, which is like a That looks like cool. a what is Mordhau? It's it's like Battlefield Five, but with chivalry. Yeah. With like medieval style. You can joust people. You can it's almost like Skyrim combat style, but better. There's a bit of comedy to it too. That's so, funny too. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of money Python references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um so what uh what's your favorite anime? If you had to pick one. Oh, that's a tough one. Probably a favorite anime. For a long ongoing series or something that's shorter? Doesn't matter. Whatever jumps out at you. Probably say Cowboy Bebop. Okay. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, that's that's a good pick. Uh, are you into Samurai Champloo? That's, that's really, really good, good too. too. Yeah, yeah same, same director. And then um, there's also Afro Samurai. That's pretty good as well. I don't know if you've I ever seen really... that one. I've seen a couple episodes here and there from like Adult Swim, but I've never sat down and, and tried to watch it. There's a lot of good ones. Um, Death Note is really good. Yeah. If you're into more like the morbid type of anime. Uh, the I, I kind of watch anime shows that are more about the plot line in terms of storytelling. Yeah, there's a lot of like... there's a lot of cruft out there as far as anime, just kind of so so many shows that are just the same old, same old. Well, a lot of the shows are just just for fan service. I'm not really a big fan of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That's one of the more cringeworthy aspects of, of <laughs> being an anime fan. Um, what about uh, I guess favorite video games? Favorite video games. That's a tough one. Uh, any or, type of genre. Or are you excited about something that's coming out? Well, there is a new Star Wars game coming out that's kind of similar to Dark Souls t- type of gameplay. Okay. That seems really interesting. That just came out on the E3 um, broadcast. Because E3 is going to happen in three days, I believe. It's this. Yeah. E3, like the biggest gaming like convention where they update, like, here's all the newest stuff Doesn't coming out next start year. Tomorrow? Or the, the press conferences start tonight I or I think tomorrow? the pre the press conferences are starting. Okay. Like, There's a bunch today. of trailers out right now. Yeah, so I'm excited to see what that's about. Um, cool. Uh, E3 will probably be over by the time this goes out. So yeah, okay. Yeah, sounds about right. We're dating Maybe. ourselves a little bit here, but <laughs> oh, also, um, there is you know the the maker of Metal Gear Solid. Oh, Hideo yeah, Kojima. Hideo Kojima. He yeah, he released a new video. Did for you watch his... that eight minute trailer? I skipped through it. I just it's kind of really like good. it's crazy. You're, you're excited? Yeah, it? yeah. I'm super excited. And it's coming out this huge... year. I thought it was going to come out in like two years from now or something like that. Yeah, that's that's also interesting. Um, I'm a huge Metal Gear Solid fan. Uh, I really love the the PlayStation original and um, MGS2 and MGS3. Uh, MGS4 was great. I haven't played uh, like 5 and um, mm-hmm. I forget the name of it, but there's some PSP ones and stuff. But uh, Peace, just... Peacemaker? Yeah, Peacemaker and something. But uh, really love Metal Gear Solid. Um, and just, I haven't seen the Death Stranding trailer, 
but I've seen all the like reactions to it on the internet. <laughs> And I'm just like, yep, that's Hideo Kojima. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. And, the weirdest uh, intro as possible. Yeah, just like the most bizarre stuff. Um, kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, didn't he have a hand in PT? Also? Yeah, yeah, him and PT. Yeah, PT was Guillermo like super weird. Uh, What's that? Him and uh, the director Guillermo del Toro. Um, yeah, director. right. Yeah, he's also yeah, in Death so- Stranding. He's, yeah, really? he's a guest character. Like he's has a like a cameo or something. I I can't I can't get out of my head. Um, Walking Dead and Norman Reedus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the main character. Yeah, that, that is a little weird, <laughs> isn't it? The, like, the the actor is also the main character. He doesn't have a crossbow, does he? No, that would kill it for me. <laughs> no, he has a baby that's strapped on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's Hideo Kojima. <laughs> All right, so um. Yeah, uh, I don't really have anything else. Um, thank you so, so much, uh, Vincent, for coming on the show and, and sharing all of your experience and knowledge about interviewing and the, the whole process. Uh, it was, that was really yeah, beneficial. Yeah, this has been thing. awesome. All the yeah, LinkedIn thank you for hosting me. Where, uh, where can people check you out at? Do you have like a Twitter or something or website? I have, so I use the same social profile name for, for everything. And my, my social tag is Vincent N. Tang. So it's my first name, the letter N for Nancy, then Tang, T-A-N-G. Um, I have an Instagram account. I got a Twitter account, github.com, Gmail, whatever. You can check me out there. Cool. All right. So thanks for coming on the show, Vincent. It's been awesome. Thanks. Thanks for hosting me. Thanks for listening to Tech Junior. If you like the show and want to support us, please jump on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, like, subscribe, and leave a review. Join us next Wednesday. We're going to have an awesome interview with Amberly Romo, who is a Gatsby team member. We're going to ask a whole bunch of questions about Gatsby and why it's so awesome and how you can get into it. You can follow the show on Twitter at TechJRPodcast. You can follow me at Lewar Jr. and Eddie at ed0ter0 all right i'll leave you guys to it bye